Welcome to the More Than Fitness Podcast. And we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Drunk Cast. Question and answer with your host, with your boy, with your friend and coach, Matt McLeod. I'm feeling good if you couldn't tell off this intro. I am uh, home for the holidays. I have some, listen to this, this clink. Hear that? That is success in a glass. That is Weller bourbon, my friends. If you aren't familiar, get familiar. Um, I also have my trifecta of hydration. As usual, whenever I do these drunk casts, Q&As, I have my alcohol, which is bourbon for my alcohol of choice. The other piece of the trifecta is going to be some Diet Coke. It's got a little caffeine. It's a little bit of a stimulant. Keeps me going. And then lastly, to make sure this doesn't go completely off the rails, I have some good old H2O. But let's go ahead and jump on into things because I don't want to make sure I want to make sure this doesn't go on too long. I want to make sure I don't get too hammered here. Um, let's see. I do have some bourbon within arm's reach, but I've got, I've got a nice little glass here and I think I should be set. So let's kick this off real quick with a nice little sippy sip. And then we'll get into question number one. Ah, nothing like mouth noises in a microphone on a podcast. All right, let's see. I'm going to scan through these things real quick. Because I, how I prepare for these drunk casts sometimes are lesser than other times, and this time was not much at all. All right, real quick, this question. I think this uh, this one's from Seamus. I think that's how you say his name. It's a, it's my friend from Glasgow, Glasgow, uh, as he as he says, which is super cool actually. But his question is. What has been your most surprising weight loss week as a coach? I remember one week I lost it pounds after having a big Sunday meal with the family, six pints with the family, and a fried chicken burger, a large portion, and chips, and was so shocked I lost so much weight after treating myself. So I'm assuming, to, to sum this up, he had a big meal, and then the day after, he had a weight drop. I think that what could have happened here, uh, it, it's also it's also difficult to to know this, right? Because there's so many different variables that go into actual weight loss and weight loss fluctuations on a, a day-to-day basis. But sometimes people can have big weight drops after a uh, after a big meal like that, or after a, a free meal or a cheat meal or whatever the hell you want to call it, you just have a calorically dense meal because it reduces your stress. So what happens typically with people whenever they diet is their their stress goes up, right? It, it, it's a stressor on the body to eat in a calorie deficit because you're not consuming as much energy uh, as your your body needs for for maintaining everything. So for maintaining your weight or being in a calorie surplus. Uh, so being in a calorie deficit in general in general already stuttering is going to be a uh, a stressor to the body. And, and what can happen is there's a hormone called cortisol that can be released and it can cause water retention. And what happens whenever people have a big, a big cheat meal or a big calorie dense meal is they wake up the next morning and then they are actually several pounds lighter. The reason why this happens is because your body releases all the water because the the big meal that you have, typically if you have a big meal like that, you're, you're enjoying it as well. You may be around family or friends, uh, you're having a good time, and it's going to be a big stress reliever. So whenever you diet for a, a certain period of time, that stress builds up, and then you you start to build up a little bit of water, and then... Whenever you have the free meal, you have the cheap meal, your body may end up releasing all of that water because your cortisol drops and your body uh, just kind of exhales, if that makes sense. There's also, this is called the, the, the whoosh effect in dieting 
as well. This this sometimes can be triggered by a, a free meal or a cheat meal or typically meals higher in carbohydrates. Uh, but it can also just happen just from from dieting uh, alone. Maybe you could be dieting for a while and then something not diet related happens to you. Maybe you get a raise, for example, and then your cortisol drops, you get really happy, and then your body flushes out all of this excess water from your fat cells. And this is what is called the whoosh effect. Uh, in, in, in other terms, it's, it's basically whenever your weight is stalling for quite some time, despite you being in a knowingly calorie deficit, right? You know you're in a calorie deficit because you've been losing weight on it for so long. Uh, and then um, basically some type of event happens or it gets triggered by this high carbohydrate meal, this high uh, calorie meal, and then your body releases the water uh, from the fat cells. And then you wake up in the morning and you've magically lost two, three, four, five pounds overnight. And it can be questioning, but that is what happens. This is why weight loss is, is just so tricky. The scale is so finicky. This is the reason why I tell people not to worry so much about day-to-day -day fluctuations with the scale, but instead focus on the weekly trends, right? You want to, you want to check the averages on a weekly basis. That's why I think it is important to weigh yourself three, four, five, six, seven times a week so that you have more data to work with to get these averages. And then you know over time, okay, as long as I'm trending downward, not necessarily going down every single day, day after day, then you know, okay, I'm in, I'm in the right direction. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. Uh, and, and I know that that can, that can definitely be difficult. I know that the, the scale can play tricks on people. Um, but the more that you understand and educate yourself about why the scale is doing what it's doing or or not doing, perhaps, uh, I think that then you can ease your mind a little bit. I, I think the main thing is to, to stick to the process. Keep sticking to what you know you should be doing. Don't take too much weight on the scale. <laughs> Literally, no pun intended. Don't take, don't put too much weight on the scale, uh, and, and just remember that it's only one tool to measure your fat loss. Um, so, Seamus, thank you for the question, man. Appreciate it. Uh, okay, you know what? I actually am going to give myself a pat on the back for. I was I was super focused during that question and trying not to slur my words because I am about two bourbons deep, and also a. Uh, I had a glass of wine with dinner as a as a pregame, a pregame for this this drunk cast by myself in my parents' basement on a holiday. As I as I say in other drunk cast, I cannot believe that this is my job. So thank you guys for listening because you are a huge part of why I can do this on a continual basis. I hope you really do find it valuable because I find it so much fun to do. I try and make it as valuable as possible without making myself look like a complete jackass. And with that, let's move on to question number two, right after the sippy sip of Weller. I also notice the more intoxicated I get, the more my southern twang comes out being from Kentucky. But I'll try to articulate consonants, vowels, all those good things. All right, next question is, let's see here. Thoughts on incorporate, we're going to go, we'll go with a fitness question because I got a mix of fitness and business questions and just general life questions. Actually, I'm not going to do another fitness one yet. I'm going to wait. Um, this will be a simple one. No, don't want to do that one. Apologies. 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 Here we go. We're going to go to how do you feel? This is kind of a longer question, but I'll try and go through it quickly. How do you feel about coaches? So fitness coaches that start to extend themselves, extend themselves, words are difficult, into other modalities of quote unquote coaching that goes beyond fitness and nutrition. I've noticed that once a personal trainer starts seeing some level of success in their coaching, their clients, uh, in coaching their clients, they start to post more and more about things like mental health, endocrine health, etc. In my experience, I've seen a troubling amount of wholly unqualified coaches start answering questions around these things. I've noticed uh, they say something nice about me. I've noticed you're quick to refer to experts in other fields. 
Thank you for that. Um, they say, but the amount of poor, unqualified answers and advice I've seen by fitness coaches seems to be an ever-growing issue. Curious as your thoughts on this. That is true, actually, and it takes questions like these. It takes questions like these for me to take a step back and actually think about it because I don't honestly think about it. I don't think about what other people are doing as much as far as like getting outraged over it uh, or, or things like that. Uh, I do think it is an issue whenever people start to. Um, I, I joke around and say that I play therapist with with my clients often, and and I think that the, around food related issues, I think that I am qualified to to talk about these things as long as it's not you know a, a severe disorder or anything like that that takes a full medical team. Um, however, yeah, I'm not going to go about telling people how to treat their depression with diet and exercise, for example, or if they have a really fucked up endocrine system. So all their hormones are jacked up, everything right, thyroid, a bunch of other different hormones and things that I, it is definitely not my expertise. And I think it gets very tricky. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, I think that it's not smart because, uh, see, this is, this is, it's, it's getting me, it's getting me caught up, but I, I don't, I don't think that it's a smart move one, because you could get somebody, you could make their situation worse, right. With, with your pseudo knowledge. I think that you have to, that there's a reason why we have experts in certain fields. There's reasons why we coach people within a certain context or a certain niche, uh, or with a certain, or with a specific set of problems. And whenever you start to, broaden your scope of practice, I think that you are only hurting yourself. And and more importantly, you could be potentially hurting the client as well, who could get way better results with someone else. So, so for me personally, how I see it is that like, I don't want to one, of course, their their safety is my number one priority. I never want to get anybody hurt or or make them worse off for coming to to see me. But it's also because I'm lazy, right? Like I don't want to work with people on their mental health, on their endocrine system, on their on a bunch of issues that I'm not well versed in. I stick to the shit that I know because it's the easiest for me to to um, uh, give my best advice, right? It's like people who are, who are looking to, to have like flexible fat loss basically, or, or looking to gain muscle mass in the most efficient and effective ways. Like all of these things, that's, that's my expertise. If somebody comes to me and is like, Hey, how do I treat my depression? It's like, I'm going to have to go and do a bunch of research. I'm going to have to go like, even when people come to me for, for powerlifting workouts or, or strength, like purely strength building workouts, I can do them. I mean, I have an understanding with it, but it still takes me a little bit of extra time because I want to make sure that I, I give this client the best information I possibly can. So I'm going to have to go and do some research and that's going to take extra minutes. It's going to take oftentimes extra hours of work for me to make sure that I'm happy with the program that I give them, with the advice that I give them. Uh, and, and so I think that I think it's stupid all around, honestly, as far as, as far as their, their time goes, as far as their expertise goes, uh, and in so many different, different avenues, I think that it's, um, I think that some people do it as a sense of niching down. And I think that it really, uh, um, it can be, it can be dangerous depending on what context they are trying to, um, squeeze into basically what other area or field they're trying to work into mental health and endocrine and stuff. It's just like, there's so much stuff that could have permanent effects on people that I myself am definitely not going to, to deal with. So yeah, I don't think I gave a straight answer on that, but you get the idea. All right. Question number three, thoughts on incorporating BOSU trainers in workouts. With BOSU trainers, I'm assuming that's just uh, BOSU balls and the, the half BOSU balls or whatever. Um, so to contemplate that, I'm going to take a sippy sip of this Weller. I'm also going to take a sippy sip of this caffeine to uh, wet my whistle. Okay, yeah. Thoughts on incorporating BOSU trainers in workouts. 
I just did a mini somewhat on this on like five tips on how to gain more athleticism with your workouts. You want to check out that mini sode? Probably, I think it's actually no, it's a couple mini sodes before this. Go check that out. Um, because I think the reason why people like to use Bosu balls or Bosu trainers, like the half Bosu ball with the hard top um, or the hard bottom, and then the half Bosu balls sticking out the top, I think it's because they just they think that balance is only found through unstable surfaces like a bosu ball which is ridiculous i i don't i honestly don't know what their uses would be good for besides people potentially in physical therapy because i think that there's some type like or, or coming back from some type of ankle injury or um uh, some type of knee injury and again to go back to the last question, I don't know because this isn't my field exactly. But from what I have read and seen, uh, I, I don't even I don't even think that they might not even use it. But it, the idea is to to help the the stabilizer muscles in around and the the around those areas around your ankles, knees, those different joints and things. Um, but for somebody who's looking to simply gain muscle and to lose fat and to be more athletic and, and quote unquote functional, have more power, speed, agility, move better, feel better. I don't think there's really any room to, or there, there's, there's room to incorporate it, but there's no, it, it's not going to be your most effective route, right? Like you can walk three miles. Of course, you have the option to walk three miles, but you could get there more quickly if you took a car, right? Um, so so I think with, with Bosu trainers, it's like, if you want to improve your athleticism, if you want to in- improve your balance, it's like, do a three rep max on squats and tell me your balance isn't challenged, right? You, you have to think about it in the sense of generating force and power and stability and strength, how much of that could you exert in a single rep whenever you're on stable ground, right? On, on concrete or whatever, just a normal gym surface. And how much of that could you exert on half of a BOSU ball, right? It's like the load that you're going to have to decrease on the BOSU ball is so much more. So it's just like, it's 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 a very... Um, inefficient way to do the the task that they're trying to do in my in my honest opinion it's like you see people do them with things like push-ups for example they 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 do push-ups with their their hands around the handles with the bosu ball and they put the ball part on the bottom and they do those it's like that's great but all you're doing is making it harder to do push-ups effectively because just because an exercise is harder doesn't mean that it's more effective, right? Just because it's harder to do squats on a BOSU ball doesn't mean that you're going to build more muscle doing squats on a BOSU ball than you would on a flat, stable surface, right? That's that's what I think we, we, we have to remember here. So I think if you're wanting to work on your balance, if you're wanting to work on athleticism, I think it's much more important to work on total absolute strength. So things like squats, deadlifts, bench, right? Getting stronger on those. Um, and then also like single leg work. I think that that would be great for stability and for mobility, making sure um, that you, you do single leg work. So single leg RDLs, um, you could also do things like uh, even just like lunges or or Bulgarian split squats, for example. All of these these different things uh, you can do. Um, what's it called? Uh, pistol squats. That would be another one. Or I think a, a Cossack squat. If you look that up, I think it's C O S S A K. It's more like a, a lateral squat or a lateral lunge. Right. For example, these are going to be all things that you can work on your stability and your mobility and uh, uh, your balance way more effectively than you could with a BOSU trainer. So that's something to consider. All right, let's move on to question number. I need to do something here to make sure that I don't answer these again. Excuse my dead air here. I'm just making sure that I know which questions I've answered and which ones 
I have not. Okay. The next question is, did you go from nine to five life to entrepreneur or have you always been an entrepreneur? And with that question, it deserves a sippy sip with that beautiful ice clinking against the glass. Okay, to repeat the question real quick, did you go from the nine to five life to entrepreneur or have you always been an entrepreneur? First off, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. I I genuinely don't think I have the um, credibility to call myself an entrepreneur. I think that I am self-employed. However, I don't even think that I have... Yeah, I think that the difference between being self-employed and being an entrepreneur is that whenever you're an entrepreneur, being a business owner like that is whenever I can, it, whenever you can go away from your business for a certain period of time, you can take a month off from your business. And then whenever you come back to your business after that month is done, the business is still running full steam ahead. It could possibly even be doing better than when you were there, right? So the the business is an entity in itself. It is an efficient machine that doesn't rely entirely on you. So that first caveat, I see myself as self-employed, but I don't see myself uh, as being an entrepreneur. And I hate whenever just uh, fitness coaches, they're just like, yeah, the entrepreneur life, bro, hashtag 100 or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, dude, you write workout plans, you're a coach, um, which is still great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay what I do. However, I'm not the same category as Jeff fucking Bezos, right? Um, anyway, did you go from nine to five life to entrepreneur? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Uh, I have never done the nine to five life actually. Um, I did work several jobs before I started my coaching business in college. So I worked at like a sporting goods, right? I was, um, I was a cashier and then I also, um, What's it called? I was a uh, not a, a sales associate, basically. So I would I would walk around the store and ask people if they needed help with anything. We sold it was a sporting goods store, right? A bunch of the other high school football players also worked there. It was a joke job, but it was it was super fun and it gave me a little bit of experience. Taught me a little bit around uh, the the real world, basically talking with people, uh, being on time, being punctual. Uh, and I was grateful that that I did that. So I did that for a period of time. I also worked in my dad's auto body shop. So he is uh, he owns his own auto body shop, McLeod's Body Shop. Shout out if you're in Ashley, Kentucky, come check it out. Um, I worked in the garage there over the summers for for many years. Actually, I was the I was the cleanup guy. I would I would walk around. I would uh, clean up all of the dust. I would th- take out the trash. I would clean the toilets. I would go dumpster diving because I would have to um, smash the trash down into the dumpster because it would be overflowing because the trash only ran on certain days. Uh, and, and working in an auto body shop, like you just have so many damn boxes and trash and tape and paper um, and just nonsense, just random things right? That, that the trash would fill up really quickly. And also it was on the main highway. So people would come by and just dump their trash in the big, uh, uh, dumpster that, that wasn't even, uh, you know, it's basically not allowed, but people would still do it. So it would fill up very quickly. And so I would have to get down in there. I would have to tear up some more boxes. I would just have to make more space because with car parts, the boxes are going to be huge, right? So you have to cut them up and then you have to put them in there. I referred to it as as many summers of playing Tetris in the uh, in the dumpster. So so yeah, that was that was really fun. And then after that, the other job that I had was uh, I interned at a strength condi- strength and conditioning gym in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, with Jim Laird and Molly Galbraith. Um, 
Jim still has, uh, Jim, J-I-M, still has the gym there, uh, I believe. I don't think it's actually in the same spot, but he is still training people. This was semi-private classes, private classes, one-on-one, uh, all of that kind of stuff. It was a very awesome opportunity. I was very happy to go work with them. Molly Galbraith is another uh, titan in the fitness industry. She actually just came out with a book. She owns, she's, or she's a co-owner of Girls Gone Strong. Any female, uh, especially if you're going through uh, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy or postpartum, right? Like I, I, she puts out amazing work and just for females in general, uh, I cannot give enough kudos to her. And I think she actually just came out with a new book. Um, but yeah, I worked, I worked with, I worked for them too. Um, and then after that, uh, so that was actually, I worked for them at the strength conditioning gym whenever I was a sophomore in college, I believe at the university of Kentucky. And after that, was whenever I got started into fitness coaching. After that job, I, I think from that job, I, I realized that I didn't enjoy working for people. Honestly, I, I or I just I, I wasn't, and I, I I yeah I just wasn't good with taking orders. It was more so like the schedule. Like I wanted to just do the shit that I wanted to do. And if it wasn't that important to me, I, I just, I didn't give it the attention it deserved. Um, and, and that could be selfish. That could be whatever you want to call it, but it just, it didn't work out for me that way. So that's whenever I thought about doing the online coaching thing. And then, um, yeah, I started the online coaching because I had a couple friends in college ask me to, uh, I had one friend actually that, that asked me to help him out with his diet and exercise. So I helped him out with his stuff. He saw pretty, he saw pretty good results. And then he was also in a major fraternity at the university of Kentucky. And he told a couple of his friends. And then I was also in the, uh, the campus gym, uh, you know, five, six days a week. And so I made a lot of friends and then word got around, uh, and, and I started telling a few people and asking if they wanted some help and stuff. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I realized, okay, I've got quite a few clients now. They seem to be enjoying it. So I could fucking do this. You know, I, I started just with one person and then just kept getting the the social proof after that and just the reinforcement like hey i could actually do this and help people and then also make a living from it um so yeah that was did you go from nine to five life to entrepreneur or have you always been an entrepreneur that is my answer i hope that that i don't even know if that was really helpful for people or not but that's that's my story let's see where are we at on time 27 minutes time flies when you're having fun. It also flies when you're drunk. I'm not really drunk. I'm just a little bit tipsy, but the Weller is kicking in all the right places. So let me debold. That's not even the right word. I'm going to debold that answer. And then we will move on to the next question. So how long should one ideally bulk before cutting? This is actually a more complicated answer than I thought. This was one of the few questions that I was like, I need to look into this a little bit more. And I actually just did a mini-sode. By the time that this comes out, I believe the mini-sode that I just did on this will be the day before. Um, So if you want to go check out that on when you should bulk versus cut, you should definitely check that out. But my short answer on how long should one ideally bulk before cutting Um, so most of the people listening to this are probably going to be intermediate to advanced lifters or or possibly in between the beginner and intermediate. They're going to be not completely newbies to the gym, right? So for non-novice people, I think it's so hard without having context to give uh, an appropriate answer to this. So just take that into consideration whenever you hear what I'm about to say. Um, But if you're, uh, if you're a man and you're closer to about 20% body fat, uh, this is typically for, for guys, this is whenever you start to lose uh, visible abs, uh, particularly in your upper abs, for example, because because for for males, 
around, you know, the spare tire basically is what they like to call it around the love handles, around the lower abs and around the lower back. That tends to be where we store fat, unfortunately. Um, but then our upper abs and obliques often sometimes still peek through a little bit. So whenever you get into the 20 to 25% ish body fat range for men, um, you're, you're, uh, it's probably a good sign that, okay, you, you might need to, um, start a cut. Oh, wait. So how long should, I don't even know if I read the question, right? How long should one ideally bulk before cutting? Okay. Right. So, so what I'm saying is that up until that point, you could potentially bulk until your, you know, 20 to 25% body fat. There's no there's no reason why 20 to 25% is is unhealthy by any means. And this is the same thing for for what I'm about to say for women. It's not that you're unhealthy for being these body fat percentages. Um, it's simply because you may not want uh, uh, that amount of body fat. So then it might make sense to, to cut for women. It's going to be closer to 30 to 35 ish percent body fat on, on average for, for, for most women. And if this is you like, you're like, okay, I have no idea what that looks like. I would just recommend you could, you could look it up, um, on, uh, uh, on Google, there, there's plenty of, of good body fat percentage uh, pictures and things. They have a scale. Most of them are, are pretty solid. I think Mike Vacanti actually has a good one with his app, Mike's Macros. And you can look at all the different ranges of body fat and the pictures that go with them. And then you can you can, you can see those um, to, to get the gist of things. But how long should one ideally bulk before cutting? I think the, the general recommendation for this is going to be like four months for every four months you bulk, then you've kind of earned yourself one month of, of a mini cut basically. So if you bulk for 16 weeks, then you can have a little mini cut after that, depending on, because again, this is where the context comes into play, depending on what, how lean you were to begin with, because if you, if you're just a naturally skinny person and you're, you're a naturally lean person to begin with one, I'm super jealous. And I'm sure many other people are jealous too. Um, two, you can probably pack on tons of lean mass. So tons of muscle by being in a surplus and doing that for months and months on end with no issue whatsoever, because it's already harder for you to pack on fat as it is. And you're just kind of leaner to begin with. So you can, you can probably bulk for, for quite a bit of time. Um, but there's, there's going to become a point where you're just maybe not motivated or you're tired of, uh, eating so much food again, we feel terrible for you. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, there's going to become a point where you become unmotivated and it's just, you don't feel like continually eating more and more. Uh, and so that's whenever you could decide to cut. So I think, I think, a, I think the minimum for bulking is going to be about 16 weeks. Cause what you don't want to do is to bulk and then cut and then bulk and then cut and then bulk and then cut because then, uh, and what I mean by that is bulk, uh, bulk for four weeks, then cut for four weeks, then bulk for four weeks, then cut for bulk for four weeks, man, listen to my words slurring already, um, or slurring in the middle of this <sighs> deep breaths, deep breaths. We've got this. Um, yeah. So you just don't want to spin your wheels basically. Uh, and that's what can happen with people whenever they don't want to bulk for too long. Or what happens is they bulk too aggressively in the very beginning and they eat way too much food out of the gate and then they bulk for two weeks but they bulk hard and they gain a bunch of water they gain a bunch of glycogen and fat and uh and they just don't feel good in general and so they're like okay i gotta start cutting again and this is what perpetuates the vicious dieting cycle and then also just spinning your wheels and not making any progress uh so with that being said how long should one ideally bulk before cutting? It depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, but if you are bulking, I would give yourself at least four weeks to do an actual bulk and then uh, you can cut after that. All right. Hope that answer was helpful and not too intoxicated. Um, next question. Let's see here. Biggest takeaway since moving to New York City? Uh, 
Uh, right. So for people that don't know, I moved to New York City about, what's it been? Five months ago-ish? I think it's coming up on five or six months. Um, I moved from Kentucky to New York City. Uh, and my biggest takeaway since moving to New York City is that you are the same person no matter where you move. <laughs> uh, I, I think that people romanticize travel and moving and going to different places. Uh, and I think it is all horseshit. To be a hundred percent honest, I think that a lot of people move places, go travel, et cetera, et cetera, to find themselves. And I think that to quote unquote find themselves, uh, and I think that there could be some merit merit to that because there there are tons of things that I moved to New York City and that you know the people are are vast, vastly culturally different. Uh, I I run into so many different types of of, of people and personalities. Uh, uh, and just, uh, how they, they, they talk and how they communicate and how they look, right. There's so many differences. Uh, however, at the end of the day, it's like your, your habits, your routines, what you believe in, uh, the, the stuff that you normally do in your day-to-day -day life of wherever you are, you're going to carry that with you wherever you go, at least you're going to, you're going to carry with you the majority of those same habits, right? So I think that the biggest takeaway since moving to NYC is that if you're an asshole in Kentucky, you're also going to be an asshole in New York city, just like you're also going to be in New York, or you're also going to be an asshole in Egypt, right? Or Tokyo or Australia. Like it, it's just like, if, if you, if you're an asshole, you're an asshole. Uh, so, so I think what it is, is just like New York city. There's, there's, there's more people, there's more buildings. Uh, I have to walk more places. Things are more expensive. Uh, however, I am still the same person. If you want to, to change, uh, your surroundings, you're going to have to start with yourself first, even if you are physically in a different location. I think that being in a different location can help you snap out of certain habits and things that you had in a, in a different place because you were in a totally different environment and all those triggers and cues just uh, you, you kind of have to um, refresh those. And so it could be a good time to, to try and cut out old habits. Uh, however, for the most part, it's like, you're still the, uh, you're, you're still the same person. And I think that that's, I think that's exactly how it should be. And I think that that's, that's good in, in ways because it just, it just, uh, it, it's good, but it could also be hard to hear for some people because they expect to move to New York city and then their entire life has changed. Right. But it's still like it, you can still bring your problems with you to New York city. So I, I think that that's what people have to care. They have to be careful about whenever they travel and things, right? It can be the idea of traveling and that wonderlust that people have about going to bigger cities or going to uh, traveling to, to different locations and hoping all of their problems to be solved. But what actually what it is, it's just a distraction uh, from from what they need to confront in the first place. Uh, and so for some people on a regular basis, this is Netflix or, or scrolling mindlessly on social media, right, or, or turning to booze or drugs uh, or, or whatever. Uh, and then for other people, they find this in work or they find this in travel, for example, right? They, they find other vices in their life to distract them from the terrible shit that they need to confront about their life in the first place. So the biggest takeaway since moving to, to New York City is that um, you are who you are despite where you live. Uh, so, so figure out your own shit, right? Go inward, not outward. Um, so yeah. That's the biggest takeaway take since moving to New York City. Um, all right. That answer deserves a sippy sip. I really hope you guys enjoy this for the three, four, might be, even be up to five people at this point listening in uh, almost 40 minutes into this. Um, next question. Let's see. 
Thoughts on women taking CLA and creatine for toning, or are they just, oh shit, I just deleted all the questions. Nope, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Thank God for undo. Um, thoughts on women taking CLA and creatine for toning, uh, or are they just for bodybuilding? All right. So real quick, CLA is conjugated linoleic acid. Uh, it's a fatty acid um, and it's been known, uh, or I'm sorry, it's not been known. It's been marketed to induce fat loss, right? Uh, and based off of the, the of what I know and off of examine.com, which is my go-to place for supplements and, and quite a bit of nutrition information as well. Examine.com is a very uh, um, evidence-based science, science first uh, research analysis of so many different supplements of so many different nutrition facts and fallacies, right? They, they do a really good job of laying all of the current research out there and then putting it in a very uh, easy to read and comprehensible, uh, comprehensible is the correct word, um, form. Right. So going to their conjugated linoleic acid page, because this isn't something I, I know that it's basically a waste for for everybody, to be honest. Most people like the, there's so many other things that come on the list of shit that you should care about with your 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 fitness goals than CLA. Right. With with honestly, most most supplements in general, to be honest. Um, but with CLA, it, it's yeah. So so basically, what they say on examine.com is that it's, uh, it's, it's lackluster, right? It, it, it's there, there are, there are, there is no research behind CLA and it's proclaimed effects and you should probably just save your money and buy, you know, like amazing steak instead. Um, that would probably be a better move. Uh, but as far as creatine goes, for toning. Um, and, and a lot of people hate on the term toning. Some people, even whenever I read that question, so thoughts on women taking CLA and creatine for toning, or are they just for bodybuilding? Um, here's the thing. Uh, I don't care when people say toning because I understand exactly what they mean. They're, they're, they're just trying to gain muscle and lose fat. And as far as creatine goes, I am 100% on board for almost everybody to take creatine monohydrate. Uh, I, I think that it, or, or I know that it is actually one of the most researched, excuse me, one of the most researched sports supplements on the market as far as efficacy goes. And then also for long-term safety, uh, it is, uh, yeah, that's literally, so I go to, again, I'm on examine.com. I type in creatine. It says creatine is among the most well-researched and effective supplements. Uh, what's, and then, so just to sum it up, it says it can help with exercise performance by rapidly producing energy during intense activity. Creatine may also provide cognitive benefits, which I think is super interesting. So they had some pretty promising research on creatine's effects on the brain, which is which is super cool. It's actually been somewhat shown to be a nootropic, right? And, and due to creatine, creatine monohydrates, uh, it's so it's so cheap and so easy to use uh, and so safe for most people. I think that it is is kind of a no brainer. Even if you are trying to tone, I think that most people think of creatine as blowing them up. Right? They're going to be super water bloated. They're going to do all you know. They're just going to gain tons of weight, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, people don't understand. Um, what's it called? The, um, the way that, that creatine works and, and how it actually draws water into your muscle cells and, and not into the fat cells, right? So water into your muscle cells is a very good thing. And so 
And also what people tend to do with creatine is they tend to load it, which means that they take 20 to 30 grams uh, on a daily basis. And then, yes, of course, you are going to gain more weight and more uh, water as a result of doing that. Uh, however, I would not recommend that. Instead, what I would say is to just take five grams of creatine monohydrate, not all the other different types of creatine that are typically more expensive and that are spouted to be more effective or have these other benefits. It's all horseshit. Don't listen to it. Uh, do creatine monohydrate. It's super simple. Five grams a day for basically everybody. It's not going to do shit to your kidneys. It's not going to do shit to your liver, et cetera, et cetera. Take creatine. It's a, it's, it's a good idea. It will make, again, so what it says is it can help with exercise performance by rapidly producing energy during intense activity. So it helps with the phosphocreatine energy system. And so whenever you're lifting, this is, this is ideal because to put it in a practical sense, uh, if you start taking creatine, whenever you can only do, uh, let's say you can typically only do 135 pounds on bench press for five reps. Well, what, what creatine can help you do is, is basically do hundred. So let's say you could do 135 pounds for five reps over three sets. What creatine could do is help you maybe do 135 pounds for six reps over three sets. And you may say, okay, well, that's, that's not that much of a difference, but what that can do over an entire span of, let's say, a month or several months, those extra reps that creatine can help aid you in uh, can, can go a long way in terms of your, your, your progress. So those little percentage points that it helps you with on every single workout, that can bank up over time. Right. So it can help you literally be stronger on a workout to workout basis that can eventually add up into some some pretty significant results. So and then, of course, you have the cognitive benefits as well. So if you aren't taking creatine, I think it is a good idea. I just take the optimum nutrition, five grams of uh, whatever they have, CreaPure, which is the 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 tested creatine, micronized creatine Um as far as safety and, and effectiveness goes and purity, uh, I think it's it's up there. So five grams a day, creatine monohydrate. I think it's even recommended to take with carbohydrates. Actually, I feel like it's absorbed better that way. But just essentially take five grams a day and then forget about it. That should be a good idea. Okay, next question. We are almost done here. I want to wrap it up. At around 60 minutes. Um, let's see here. After being sick with COVID or the flu, how long should you rest before working again? I'm assuming working out again uh, because I don't know when you should work again after being sick with COVID or the flu. But I'm going to wrap this up with real quick a sippy sip. Okay, so after being sick with COVID or the flu, how long should you rest before working out again? Hmm, this is an interesting one. I think it's, well, one, obviously, don't be fucking contagious. That's probably a good recommendation uh, with COVID or the flu or any any other type of uh, virus or anything like that. If you're contagious, don't go to the gym. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, other than that, I think that the, the general rule that I like to give my clients and like to tell everyone else is that if it's above your neck, uh, I think that you should be okay as far as going to the gym. So if you have maybe the sniffles, uh, or if you have, um, what's it called? If you have maybe like a headache or something or some sinus pressure, uh, or, or whatever, of course, use, use your own judgment. Um, I'm not a fucking doctor, so, so don't sue me. Um, but I think if it's above the neck, you're probably as, as far as your sickness goes, you're, you're going to be okay. Uh, you might even feel better after you get out of the gym actually. Uh, but if it's below the neck, so if you have a lot of like chest congestion, you've been coughing a lot, a lot of mucus. Um, wow. This is not what I was thinking I was going to talk about on this podcast. Um, but yeah, of course, like fever, um, let's see 
what else? I don't know. Not a medical doctor, but basically like for the most part, if you got the sniffles, you got a headache, you got a little bit of sinus pressure, you're you're probably going to be okay. I think it's whenever you well, one whenever you're cleared by your doctor, and then two, it's just like when do you start feeling good again. I think I think you just start off slow, like maybe go on some some walks or something and just just try and ramp it up from there. Maybe you do a bodyweight workout at home, maybe do some push-ups, do some crunches, do some planks, do some bodyweight squats, some hip thrust, right? Just 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 do a little bit of stuff at home, see how you feel, and then you can kind of adjust from there. Uh that, that, that's that's kind of how I see it. I think it's it's more so a judgment call for for you. Uh, sickness can be can be tough, but as long as you're not contagious, uh, I, I think that you could you could go back and then just kind of at least go to the gym and then warm up and see how you feel. And then if you feel bad, then go home. If you feel good, then try it out and 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 see see what happens. But I wouldn't try and force it either because if you go to the gym and you, you have to remember that going to the gym and stuff is also a stressor on your body. So it could prolong the recovery period, right? So if you stay home and you sleep and you get a bunch of fluids and you rest, um, and eat some nutritious foods and don't go to the gym and be exposed to more germs or uh, also just have your body focusing on other things, for example, like like muscle gain and stuff uh, and body repair, then yeah, you you might recover a little bit more quickly. But it's it's kind of, it's up to you. It's up to you. All right. And the last question that I have for this mini-sode is... Biggest thing you miss about Kentucky? All right, going back to the travel questions real quick. I'm going to finish up this bourbon. Damn it, it dripped on my laptop. Um, It's all good. It's all good. Okay, sip on that bourbon. Let's see, sip on this Diet Coke. And let's take this one home, my friends. Biggest thing you miss about Kentucky? Without a doubt... Um, it's my friends and family, dude. Like that's, that's it. Um, being born and raised in Kentucky, I've been here, you know, for literally 25 years at the time of recording this. Um, it's like, of course, all the other stuff, um, that I grew up with here is, is, is great, but you just, you can never replace those, the, especially with my friend group. My friend group has been so close literally since elementary school. Like we've been friends for, um, almost 20 years, some of them, and then for other ones, at least a decade. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's hard to move away to another city, even though it's, you know, with, with New York city, I'm literally an hour and a half or two hours flight away at any given time. It's just like on the weekends, on tailgating at at certain games, going out to the bars together, uh, just going and grabbing lunch somewhere on a random Tuesday or something. Uh, I definitely miss that. Uh, and then with my family, of course, um, in Kentucky, I lived, uh, whenever I was in college and stuff. So I live in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where the, the university is. And then my family lives in Ashland, Kentucky, which is where I'm at now, which is about two hours away. And so my, my parents weren't like right down the street. However, they were a two hour drive away. So if I wanted to see, they came down, you know, I I would see them maybe once or twice a month. And so, so that was great. Uh, uh, and then my brother lives in in Lexington, uh, as well. And and my sister does too. So it's like all of my family being here in Kentucky, it's like, that's, that's, that's of course what I miss. Um, but I want to try and give the non-obvious answer besides that to wrap this up. What else do I miss about Kentucky? Well, the obvious one is the prices, uh, (laughs) It is. It's just simply cheaper to live in Kentucky, but it's also like, of course, it's more expensive to live in New York because a lot of fucking people want to live in New York City. Um, so, so it's like the the price argument. I I understand. Like, don't get me wrong. That the I, I you know, 
it is a pain in the ass to, to pay more for, for certain things. Um, however, it's like you get the benefit of li- living in one of the greatest cities in the United States, right? And possibly in the world, one of the most famous cities in the world. Um, and so it's like, yeah, it's so expensive because everyone wants to fucking live there. Uh, and that's just, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how it is. But yeah, so the prices, I, I think I definitely miss here in Kentucky. Um, I miss, I'm, I do miss the quiet of it. it it's not crazy um, loud where we live in, in New York City in Hell's Kitchen, at least in, in our area, right by the the Hudson River. And we don't live any, we don't, we live somewhat close to town, uh, town square, Times Square, but we don't live around any major landmarks or, or city marks or places or anything like that. So there's not tons of traffic around our area. So it's, it's not, it's not super, super loud or anything. Um, but you can still hear cars on the highway, or you might have honking going around, or you might have construction very close by, which happens somewhat frequently. Um, but you know, it's not, that's, 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 if all things considered, if I'm worried about the noise and that's the most thing that I have to worry about, it's like life's going pretty fucking good. You know, but being back here in Kentucky, it is, it is a little bit more quiet. I do, I do like hearing the, uh, the grasshoppers outside and just all the, the noise at nighttime with, with the different bugs and stuff. There's a lot more bugs in, in Kentucky, uh, which, which I do miss miss somewhat hearing that as opposed to you know cars going outside or honking or or something like that um i know tons of value i'm providing you guys with this answer uh but it's it it's it's true these are the the little things that i that i do miss just driving around i don't have a car anymore up in new york city so i i walk everywhere i don't get to drive places uh, and I, I miss driving back and forth between Ashland, so my hometown where my parents live, and then and then Lexington, where I lived before, whenever I went to college, and then where all my friends are. Uh, I miss that two-hour commute between those two places because there's just I've had some of my best ideas uh, on that on that two-hour drive. I would I would get a monster, I would get a rock star, I'd get some type of caffeine in me, and I would look forward to those two hours of of not being on my phone, on not dealing with with any bullshit, you know, not being on my laptop or anything. It would just be me and my thoughts and maybe a really good podcast to kind of get the flow going uh, as far as my my uh, ideas and stuff uh, go. Uh, I really do. Uh, I enjoy that. I, I miss I miss having those that that two hours of solitude, basically. Um, but uh, but but I love living in New York City right now. Uh, I I haven't been there too long, and I but I really do. I enjoy it so far. It's been it's been great. I I, I need to be more of a tourist to be a hundred percent honest. Me and Mal, of course, with coronavirus, it's like we just get stuck in in the house. Mal, my girlfriend, people don't know. Um, for for the people that don't know, um, but but with coronavirus, we don't we don't go out too much. Right, we're not going to to different parties and things or anything like that. Um, so we're we're kind of stuck in our routine. Often, she's in law school, she's doing her own thing, I'm doing my own thing with my business, and we can just get caught up in our routine and our day to day stuff. So we don't actually force ourselves to go out and explore the city more. Of course, it's also the winter time. It's getting colder. It gets dark earlier. Uh, it can be sketchy at nighttime walking around the city. Um, so, so we just we haven't done that as much. And I think that I would love to go uh, and and just explore a little bit more. But I, I know that we still have at least several more years there in New York City. So I'm gonna take advantage of that. Um, but of course, I do miss Kentucky. There's pros and cons to both, but. But like I said in the takeaway uh, about moving to New York City, you're still the same person. So it's like it is what you make it. Uh, all right. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. We're closing in on an hour here. Thank you guys so much for listening to this Drunk Cast Q&A. Thank you guys so much uh, for everyone who asked a question. It really is. Um, uh, I really do appreciate it. I, I love doing these. I hope that uh, a few of these questions and answers have been helpful for you guys. Uh, and that is it for drunk cast number. I don't fucking know, um, but I'll catch you guys next time. 
on the More Than Fitness podcast. Thanks, guys. See ya. And that is that, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the More Than Fitness podcast. And please, if you could help me out a little bit here and leave a rate and review in iTunes and also take a screenshot and post it up on your IG story. Tag me at mattmcleod 6 I'd love to share it. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast and also so that we can share the word with other people. I would love to build up this community, build up this tribe of people that we have like you and I uh, and get the word out there. Uh, also, if you want more free content, you can check the links in the description. I have my free four-week workout plan, The Ultimate Physique Development. And also, if you want to work with me online, one-on-one for personal coaching, you can check the link in the description as well. Uh, and anything you else you need, please send me an email, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for listening.